Welcome to the latest ATP Tennis Radio podcast with me, Gigi Salmon, where I'm delighted to say that during the recent Mito ATP finals, I was joined around the table by former pros Miles McLagan and Barry Cowan and tennis commentator extraordinaire Chris Bowers as we sat down to piece together our ultimate player. So to the criteria, there were eight categories. We had the serve and forehand, then backhand split into two, the topspin backhand and the slice backhand. Then there was volley, return, movement, and importantly, mindset. And to help with the debate and discussion, we enlisted the services of Liam Smith, coach to ATP player Gail Morfis, and we started with the serve. For me, that was a, that was a, a very close race between Sampras and, and Kyrgios, because for me, uh, Pete Sampras' serve was something incredible, and his ability under pressure was incredible. But Kyrgios, for me, the, the serve, uh, I, I, I know him very well from, from a young kid and, and have a personal relationship with him. And for me, just his serve is just something amazing. The quality of that first serve, the pace, the accuracy, the consistency of it. I mean, in, in my opinion, it's, uh, Novak Djokovic is the, is the best returner in, in, in our sport, maybe one of the best returners that's ever, ever played tennis. And I sat there courtside in Acapulco and I saw Kyrgios serve 27 aces past him in two sets. And I've never seen first and second serve. I've just never seen anything like that. And just being on the court with him, seeing that serve, you know, come towards me, I, I have a massive respect for that serve. And I think it's, uh, it's if, if, I, if, I have, if I was picking someone to serve for me, uh, I would pick Nick uh, every day. So. Gentlemen, it's lovely to be around the table with you. We're starting with a serve, and I don't know whether to start with the man who's made the most notes in Barry or no notes in Miles. Off you go, Miles. <laughs> oh, they're all upstairs. I think. <laughs> There's a lot of good choices in, in this category, aren't there? And um, yeah, interesting. Curious, amazing action. It's a little unorthodox, but when you look at it from a coach's eye, it, he hits all the, the marks that he needs to, and the second serve is phenomenal. My choice is, is John Isner. Uh, I think Andy Murray said he's the best um, server that he's faced. And we look at the percentages. Raonic beats him in some categories, but I think you've also got to remember what's behind the serve. I know, I'm sure we're going to hear a couple of Federer's out there perhaps, but there's a lot of, you know, you also, you can look at the percentages and it's what comes behind it. Isn't it? In, a, in the nicest possible way, po- possibly has less behind his serve to back up those numbers. Uh, there's my pick. Has anyone, let's start, has anyone gone with Kyrgios like Liam? Definitely not. I mean, the, going back the notes. Definitely not. Definitely okay. not. Going with the notes, the problem with sometimes when you got notes, it could be too much information. Got, and too many options, <laughs> too possibly. Many options. <laughs> lost his spot. So we've got no other Kyrgioses. Do we have another John Isner? No. No. Nope. We didn't get a definitely not. So, okay then, Barry, sift through the notes. Find us a name. So I was actually talking about it with Chris earlier in the week. And when we talk about the greatest... How do we define the greatest? And, and where I've actually leaning more towards is, for me, the greatest is who can do it under pressure. So that's why my, if you look at purely the stats, Karlovic is st- statistically the best server. He's the one who leads service games one. He's the one who's top in terms of points one on first serve, on any surfaces, and he's also on, on a hard court. But I've gone for Sampras. Uh, I have to go for Sampras because his ability to be able to hit great first serves and second serves 
under extreme pressure. And I just looked at the Wimbledon finals. So he's he won seven Wimbledons. In the in Wimbledon finals, he had 129 service games. He got broken four times in a Wimbledon final. That's incredible. For me, that is astonishing. Um, so that was why Sampras was my pick. Well, I. I, feel, I get very irritated with the fact that we get so fixated on the speed of serve. It's partly because we have the service gun, therefore we see the speed. We also get stats for aces, but we never get the stats of when are those aces served. Because for me, an ace served when you're 40 love is half the value of an ace served when you break point down. But there's also things like disguise, placement, variety, spin. And the, we don't have indexes for those. And that's why Federer was in the frame for me, because I think, although he doesn't hit anything like the most powerful serve, I think the way he can use his serve is pretty impressive. I also feel that since we're effectively talking about the, um, the open era of tennis, you've got to look at some of those big servers from the 70s. John Newcomb, um, Roscoe Tanner, uh, they, they did it with wooden rackets. And they got tremendous pace. They were hardly ever broken. Um, but I actually am siding with Barry on this one. I actually think that Sampras is the greatest server. And it's not just that he had a serve that he could always rely on. He was the first person to really disguise it. To the, the ball toss gave nothing away. He could rely on it whenever he wanted to. And for me, the big thing is, again, it's something unquantifiable. Whenever he was about 30 love down on an opponent's serve at Wimbledon, he would just take a couple of swings at the ball because he was so confident that he would always win his own serve that he wasn't worried. You know, he never really made that much of an effort to break the opponent's serve. He knew once or a tie break and that will do him. And for me, that has got to be the ultimate serve in tennis. Miles, how close to the top of your list was Pete Sampras? Yeah, very close to the top. And, and I absolutely take on all those points. Beautiful action, repeated it for for a long, long time. And, and it's, it's an excellent point about producing big serves at the right time. I think something that jo- Novak Djokovic actually doesn't get the credit for. And it, it, it's not necessarily the ace, and, but it, it sets up the short ball. And, and Chris is right, it's about disguise. But bottom line is, is how effective is it? And, and Sampras was, was a great all-round player. So he, he could back up back up the good serving with, with good volleying or, or good forehand as well. Also to take into consideration is the surfaces have changed a lot over the last 15 years. So, you know, what was a good serve 20 years ago might not be as effective now. And you consider the people you're playing against. I mean, the likes of Becker and Edberg, it's a slightly diff- slightly tangent, but it's a slight tangent. But would Edberg be able to serve and volley against the likes of Murray and Djokovic right now? It's a, it's, it's a different time. It's, it's, a, it's a good debate, but um, yeah, I've got my man. The other one I'd like to throw in that I played against him was Rosetsky. I think when he was on form with that left-handed serve, it was unreturnable. You mentioned serve and volley there. You see, for me, whether you can volley behind a serve is also a factor, because I thought about Ivanisevic, another big left-handed server. But compare Sampras's first volley to Ivanisevic's and Rosetsky's. Now, you could say, hang on, we're talking about serves. But for me, the serve and volley is all one motion. And for me, Sampras, when he came in, uh, he could place the volley pretty much wherever he wanted to, whereas Ivanisevic never really trusted his first volley, and I'm not sure that Rosetsky did Which is either. why one had seven Wimbledons and one had one, There we right? go. <laughs> we are going to put this out to the listeners to vote on their ultimate player and the bits and pieces. But around this table now, I, I don't think there's a debate. I think we have to give it to Sampras purely on numbers two to one. 
And you gave a good shout for Sampras as well behind, isn't it? Yes, certainly in the mix. If you, if you offered me a serve, I'm not going to turn you down. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, it's the forehand for which Liam Smith picked Roger Federer. For me, it's just amazing, that forehand. It's uh, the, the racket head speed, the quality of it. And yeah, even going back many years ago, when Roger was even more dominant than now, and just the quality of his forehand, what he can do with it, and also his ability with the low ball. He can take a low short ball and he can zip it anywhere in the court really fast with this amazing racket speed and feeling. And yeah, I just think it's, uh, for me, it's, it's, it's the best forehand that's, uh, that's been in tennis, really, in terms of the consistency, how it is under pressure. And, uh, and also, it's, it's really a, a beautiful thing to look at. It's just a, a great swing and everything. Just, yeah. The angles he can create, the pace, he can change the speed, he can change the rhythm, the height, the depth. He can do everything with it. It's like a complete shot. And uh, it's also, you know, it's a proven shot because he's won 20 Grand Slam titles and over 100 titles. So that's part of it too. And, and that's what was, you know, that was almost what had me going with Sampras over Kyrgios because, again, it's, the, it's a more proven serve. But, um yeah, I think when, when you've done what Roger's done in, in the sport, it's, it just shows that that forehand really is everything about him, but especially the forehand, I think it's amazing. Roger Federer gets Liam Smith's vote for best forehand. Hands up round the table. Anyone gone with Federer can pick up from where Liam left off. Chris, the floor is yours. It was a real uh, close call between Federer and Sampras uh, again. And for me... Federer has the more varied forehand because he recognised early in his career that he needed to put more pep into it. He got more wrist into the forehand and I actually think that that made it a less reliable shot. When it was on, it was the most sensational shot. But there were times when Federer's forehand would just go off. Uh, the, the, the one that stands out is the uh, Roland Garros final of 2008 when clearly the 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 strategy was to really go at Nadal with the forehand. He made three errors in the first game and the game was up and he won four games after that. But it happened at other times in his career as well. And I, therefore, for me, the Sampras forehand was more reliable. Sampras was more um, reliable as a running forehand. The running Sampras forehand was, was brilliant. And therefore, I had really great difficulty. But I just th- feel that over the course of a career, Federer played more different forehands. He could do more with the forehand the angles that Liam Smith was talking about, I think, are very important. The feel he had on the forehand was greater. So he, he, by the tiniest of tiny margins, he gets the nod over Sampras. I feel really sorry. I felt really sorry for Miles that he was overruled with the serve. So he can have the last, okay, last right. say on, on the forehand. I actually, for me, this was a really difficult one. Um, agree with Chris. Sampras definitely came into the equation. I've never seen anyone hit a running forehand pass better than Sampras. My, just my memories of Sampras running across, almost daring players to go to the forehand. And then he would just run because his movement was astonishing and hit that cross-court forehand. But he was number three in my list. For me, it was a toss-up between Federer and Nadal. And to be honest, I've changed my mind quite a few times. Nadal, naturally, my memories, or just thinking about Rafa on the clay, the inside-out forehand unbelievable the forehand down the line which is always the barometer with Rafa when Rafa hit when he's confident and he hits that forehand down the line he can literally put it on a dime but I had to give it to Federer um there's no signs that these notes has nothing to do with my 
beforehand. I've written down Nadal. I was convinced <laughs> you were heading down to Nadal. But, um, just thinking about all surfaces, his ability to defend on the forehand. And I know there was a period around about 10 years ago where they felt, some players felt that they could actually attack the Federer forehand. But I think when you look at his longevity, you don't win 20 majors without being able to defend in big matches on all surfaces. Attacking-wise, and, and Federer's numbers on, on serve, service games won, he's, he's fifth all-time. And he's obviously got a great serve, but his first shot behind that serve, the forehand, it's really tough to push him back behind the baseline. So taking all that into account on all surfaces, I went for Roger. Interesting debate, isn't it? I mean, for, for me, I... You know, just a couple of names in the mix. I don't really remember, but I remember hearing about Lindell's forehand. It was such a dominant shot at the time. Maybe Chris can talk about that in a minute. Probably remembers it a little better than me. It, it was the, the shot of those times. Of course, Rafa, Rafa's forehand comes into the bay. I mean, what slightly puts chinks in the argument for Federer and, and Nadal is there's... There's times when it hasn't been the forehand you would choose. There was it was a 2016 when Rafa lost a bit of confidence and um, it wasn't quite firing. There's faster surfaces. Players look to go into the Nadal forehand. There was a time with Federer as well. Chris talked about it, but I remember when I was coaching at that time and talking to a couple of the other top coaches. They even felt because Roger was being so aggressive, um, and it got a little bit flicky for me his forehand and and the errors could come quite quite quickly and I think it was just before uh, he changed the frame actually the bigger frame made a huge difference so the guy I've gone for is Juan Martin Del Potro I mean because I had to think about across all surfaces as well I mean you wouldn't take Nadal's forehand on the first day on uh, at Wimbledon on a, on a softer <laughs> slippier grass court um, and, and Rogers you might not take on a on a heavy clay court but but Delpo's um, you know, it's always a shot that's, that's feared. And, and what I liked about when he gets control of the rally, and hopefully we'll see it again, <laughs> when he gets control of the rally with his forehand, he does not often let it go. I think it works. It's a big shot across all surfaces. And yes, it doesn't have the variation of Federer, um, the spins that Rafa can put on, running forehand perhaps to match, <laughs> to match Sampras. Um, but uh, yeah, he's my pick. It's interesting you should mention Lendl. I mean, I saw Lendl on television for many years before I actually saw him in the flesh. And when I saw him in the flesh, which is actually in a practice session, I suddenly thought, ah, I, I understand now what this guy does. Because he seemed almost a slightly manufactured player. He did everything well, but nothing a bit special. He's, he, he reminds me a little bit of Djokovic. Who, when you watch Djokovic, you have to actually look hard to say, well, what does this guy do really well? Because it's not immediately apparent. But Lendl just had the most beautiful swing, which didn't always come across on television. And when I saw him in the flesh, I thought, ah, I, I get now why this guy is so good. But I think the big Lendl forehand was just the biggest part of an all-round steady game. I actually thought of Lendl in the mindset category. I haven't gone for Lendl in the mindset, but I, I thought of him because his mindset was so strong. But if you're going back to the 80s and possibly 70s, then... Borg's forehand is, is worth a mention in that, although I would still put it behind Federer and Sampras. Good shout, Miles, by the way, Del Potro. Uh, um, Borg, Borg was <laughs> someone who I thought about, and I think Djokovic should come in the equation. The, the efficiency belies actually how good and effective it is. Yeah, and, and I know Federer, when he played a couple of years ago, the women of final against Djokovic, I, maybe the forehand was potentially better a few years before. But Djokovic won that match by out-hitting to Federer's forehand. It was forehand to forehand was where Djokovic won that battle. So I think Djokovic definitely 
comes into the equation. And you feel with this going out to a public vote that Del Potro could clinch it because it's a memorable forehand. I speak to people who don't even watch tennis a lot. They know about the Del Potro forehand. It has made such an impact. It's a shot you remember. It is, and it's a shot when when you're playing. You're so careful when you go into that wing. It's you know he he can hit it so hard, and he plays from he defends in a different way because it's not easy to attack because he plays a little further behind the baseline. And you know what's why these debates go on and on is because you know it, it's all situational. And and is it you know would you take a, a beautiful flare forehand with variation over one that just bludgeons time and time <laughs> again and, and wins points? You know it's a good looking boxer against someone who's just big and strong and, and wins sometimes. And it's you know it's I mean that's the ongoing debate. I think you've also got to look at how does El Potro's forehand match up against players like Nadal and Federer. Because we think of Roddick's serve. We think of Roddick's serve as being very, very big. And yet Federer could just eat that for breakfast. And if you look look at the um, Federer-Del Potro matches, apart from the US Open final in 2009, Federer could generally soak up that forehand and it didn't threaten him as much. And that's one of the factors why I I left Del Potro to one side. But it, it is a very good shout. Ooh, another little bit of extra there for Roger Federer in the forehand category. A few names, though, thrown out there. Next category is the backhand, which is divided into two. Slice backhand, which we'll look at shortly. But first, we've got the top spin, the best top spin backhand, which went the way of Stan Wawrinka. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a one-handed player myself. I have a one-handed backhand, so I was biased when it came to the backhand. I, was, I thought, you know what, everyone goes with, you know, and, and fair enough, Djokovic, Agassi, Nishikori, you know, Kafelnikov, they go with, 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 with the two-handed backhands. But I decided to go with a one-hander for, for that sort of personal reason. And for me, I just think Stan's one-hander is, is, is amazing. It's, it's something, you know, Gail and Stan are good friends and they practice together a lot. So, I've, I've, you know, I've seen it firsthand standing there on the court, how amazing it is many times. And as fast as Gail is, sometimes Stan can still get it past him with that one-handed backhand. So it's just, a, for me, it's a thing of beauty and his ability to to hit it on a clay court and, and hit the ball when it's up high, when it's in different parts of the court and the power that he has from that one-hander, it's just, it's something special. And I think, um, you know, he's, he's a three-time Grand Slam champion as well. People, unfortunately, people forget that, but by all, all measures, he's a, he's, a, he's a legend of the sport as well. So um, yeah, I had, to go, I had to go with Stan's backhand on that one. It is a thing of beauty, the Stan Vavrinka backhand. So firstly, has anyone gone Stan to carry on from the argument of Liam? I divided it into two-hander and one-hander and then picked a winner. And Stan was definitely my top one-hander. But in the end, I picked um, the two-hander of Djokovic because I just felt... I mean, for me, they're two slightly different strokes. Um, The two-hander is a much better defensive weapon and the one-hander is a much better offensive weapon. And that one-hander from Vavrinka is just brilliant. But actually, I don't think the one-handers defend as well. And for me, the reason Djokovic shaded it is that the, his ability, to, when, he, when he's pushed wide, to anchor himself and hit winning shots at full stretch, when most other two-handers would just 
take one hand off the racket and play a defensive slice is just unbelievable. And therefore, I had to go for Djokovic. But that was only on the basis of the, the final playoff in my own mind between the best two-hander, which is Djokovic, and the best one-hander, which is Favrinka. And that's a whole different debate in itself, isn't it? The one-hander against the two-hander. Yeah, I, and, and I agree. I, I mean, if I, the one-hander is I take Stan, I think his, his power, his ability to hit through the court. I mean, Gasquet's got a beautiful backhand, but he plays it from, from deeper in the court. Federer uh, as well, of, of course. Um, and, you know, how can you, how can you not have Djokovic in the mix? I mean, just going back, throwing out a couple of names, it, it's, it's easy to sort of just look at current day. I mean, Gustavo Curtin's backhand was a thing of beauty back in the day. I think it changed the game a little bit in terms of um, the first time people really played aggressively up the line. Um, you know, how, how do you decide on this? Nishikori's backhand, are we picking people's shots at their best? Nishikori's at its best? Oh, you wouldn't go too far wrong there. Rafa Nadal at times, I mean, that backhand, you know, was Australian Open a few years ago. That was a shot we are talking about, like, you know, stay away from the backhand, go to the forehand. Um, and Djokovic too, for the reasons Chris said. I think you know we're sort of blending movement into the backhand there, which of course is relevant. But my choice is, is Andy Murray. I think you know he doesn't give a lot away. He can. I, I think he. If we can choose it at its best, it's a shot that. I mean, he's got absolute control of it. I mean, we're all sitting around here. If we talk about topspin lobs, you thought there'll be a couple of smiles on the faces. He's got the control. Um, he can defend, as Chris was saying, because he's very good at shortening that swing, and he can generate a lot of power, get that ball going flat through the court. He didn't always choose to use it. Um, and, you know, that could maybe, you say, well, with a mindset of someone who will go into, perhaps it would be more effective. But uh, he's my choice. Agassi, for me. Um, again, I'm looking at the returning numbers. And, and he, he's actually led the tour in terms of returning. That's, a, that's a separate subject. I know it is, Miles, but you've got to, you've got to have the skills. So he he's leads the tour returning second serve on a hard court. I think for Agassi, he was so hard to push off the baseline. So that's how I ultimately decided in the end. If you're talking about defenders, Djokovic, I don't think anyone's ever defended better. But Agassi's ability almost at times to half volley, um, so you put that into the equation, loved the target, Agassi did. Um, I mean, it was a tough call, but having looked at Vavrinka in the single-hander and some others in the single-hander, Agassi's was the one... Often when I'm, when I'm looking at these categories, it's which name comes into my mind first. And Agassiz was, was, was the one. And then I, you sort of dig deep and, and think about some big matches and some big moments. So I went for the double A. It's interesting how we've um, slightly divided along the lines of uh, heavy topspin and flat. You see, Murray's backhand was quite flat. Uh, Djokovic is, well, see, he put some topspin on it. Uh, when I think of Agassiz, that's fairly flat as well. Um, when I think of Borgs and Nadals, they had a lot of topspin on them. Um, I wouldn't put Borg in the in the highest category on that one, but uh, I think it's very interesting also that Nadal's strokes are so based on a clay court and he adapted them for hard and grass. Whereas I think the reason he's not featuring as much is that the others have games for all courts, which, which work well on all surfaces. I've got to get Agassi in a category. <laughs> I have to. He's won on all four majors. And, and actually, he's he's going to be my return. Oh, I was going I to say, I, I shouldn't say, to think give, he, he give, was going to be give in that return, away. But you just the fact he's won on all four majors, Olympic gold medal, number one player in the world, was was the clincher. Djokovic, Agassi, Murray, the top spin backhands. So what about you, Gigi? 
I'm just sort of so... I would have gone for Djokovic. I've actually written alongside, and forehand I was crossed between Del Potra and Nadal. The topspin backhand I had Djokovic. The serve I had John Isner to this point. Do I get nods? Is that all right? Yeah, I'm just good. shocked that we're agreeing for once. I know. On a few things. <laughs> <laughs> on a few things. Well, let's see if we agree on the slice backhand because that's next. A lot of young players these days, they don't develop their slice backhand enough. Um, and I think the thing about Rogers is, is for me, it's just always been amazing how, how much ball speed and quality he has on that slice and how low it stays. And then also his ability to change the speed and the court position and move, move the players into different parts of the court with that slice. And also people don't give him credit for it, but his, his return, his chip, his sort of chip or block return with a sort of a block slice, sort of a backhand, especially at Wimbledon. I mean, I remember watching him play Roddick and Roddick was serving absolute rockets everywhere and he was putting everything in the court deep and it was, it was literally like uh, the serve was neutralised. And, and that's sort of a part of that. So I had to, I felt like I had to include it. And I think as much as I love Ken Rosewall and, and he, he had an amazing slice backhand and everyone talks about it, um, I just feel like, the, yeah, again, it's, it's the 20 grand slams and it's just the, the, the style of uh, Roger goes about it. So for Liam Smith, it's Roger Federer and the slice backhand due to his ability to use it as a weapon. Any votes here for Roger Federer and slice backhand? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Three hands up. Miles. Yeah, um, here's my here's my pick. Uh, It's I'm sure going back. I mean, I didn't see enough tennis, you know, with the likes of Rosewall and Roach and Newcomb because you know the the equipment was different and and that was probably the more stock shot back in those days. So I'm sure there were some great ones. I also Andy Murray came into my mind. I think he used it also as a weapon, but a more subtle weapon because he he changed it. It wasn't just the the height; it was the sideways spins. And for me, it was the first one I really remember taking that ball sort of short and low and up the line to move his man out of play and 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 then the no pace slice as well but but Roger I mean it's a great slice he can hit it so aggressively Um, as I say that Tim Hinman pops into my mind as well but the the thing that I think some people I suppose it's it's drifting into the return category but Roger hits that slice return so low and is so ready to pounce afterwards it's something that uh, you don't always see on the TV because he's so graceful when he when he plays, but he gets some real bites on that shot. Any more names? Because you started definitely Federer, and then you popped in Murray, and then Tim Hemman popped to mind. So I'm just checking: is there anyone else? What's popping into my head? Well, I've given you my answer, Federer. But I mean, yeah. there's, 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 there's a few. Anyone else popping in there? Uh, no, I mean in a different way. In a dull slice, well, it's not a great slice, but he uses it so effectively, doesn't he? <laughs> there Change he does. of pace. Right, so I think Miles's list is is complete, Barry. I think Miles was reading my notes when I left the room before with the Murray. I think oh, no, Murray, he did. He definitely Murray, did. Murray's a great shout, uh, and and again, it's what what do you define in that slice category? Because it always used to be the slice approach, but times change now. You don't see that very much. You don't see the chip charge. So it used to be the chip charge. Edberg was was a player that I was thinking about. McEnroe. I mean, I don't think we should un- underestimate, and Chris probably saw McEnroe play more than certainly Miles and I, but so McEnroe came into the equation. But I, I did go with Federer because all round, his ability to be able to defend with that shot, how low it stays, and no technology's changed, and now there's a lot more grip on the ball with the polyester strings that the players use as opposed to McEnroe, et cetera, et cetera. We're using natural gut. The, the short chip cross-court, it, where... where 
I mean, the amount of times he used to put that shot in against Roddick. I mean, I'm sure Roddick's still having nightmares with Federer using that shot, you know, daring him to come forward. And so, again, it's, it's what sort of category uh, of the slice backhand you, you, you ultimately define the chip, um, which is also where eventually why, why I decided to, to go with Federer because he, he made so many, or he does make so many chip returns. Um, and when he was dominating in the, uh, the mid-noughties, when he was barely, you know, going through seasons where he barely lost a match, I mean, he would just chip and get in the point and then use his, his speed and his athleticism. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with Barry in the sense that I feel McEnroe should feature somewhere in this. But um, if McEnroe were to feature, it would have for me, be in a category called inventiveness because McEnroe could see uh, opportunities and play strokes, which uh, I didn't really expect. And in a way, this is the, the, the category of slice backhand is as close as you get to inventiveness because, as Liam Smith rightly said, you, you think of the slice backhand as a, as a sort of safety shot, as a sort of a high percentage shot that you just push in deep to the court or that if you're pushed wide, you could buy yourself some time with it. And it's actually the players who use it as an offensive weapon, I think... Uh, um, elevate themselves into uh, you know a higher level, and that's what Federer does. But it's not just that he can knife it and get some weight behind the slice. It's actually more than that. It's the angles, and and I come back to inventiveness here. I remember watching Martina Hingis play and thinking, my goodness, she sees shots that nobody else seems to see are possible. And in a way, I think Federer does that as well. The angles he gets on some of his slice backhands, uh, or or some of the short backhands, they're not drop shots, but he plays them maybe down the line and. And get, finds his opponent is in a position in the court where they they just they, they don't plan to be there, and that's what Federer does with his slice backhand. So overall, I actually think that Federer edges it um, because he just makes absolutely the most of it. And it's not just that it's an aggressive weapon as opposed to a defensive weapon. It's the so many different elements of the aggressive weapon, including the technique that allows him to play drop shots, because. He was slightly sniffy about the drop shot until he um, really started to take the French Open seriously. And he would not have won in 2009 at Roland Garros if he hadn't actually developed the drop shot as part of his game. And he could only have done that because his technique on the slice backhand is fundamentally sound. So a plethora of picks, which we then put to the ATP Tennis Radio public on Twitter in a series of polls. And the final lineup at the halfway point looks like this. We will begin with the serve. That was taken by Pete Sampras with 49% of the vote. Behind Sampras with 37% of the votes was Nick Kyrgios. And coming in third, way back really, John Isner with 14%. To the forehand, and it was Juan Martín del Potro who edged Roger Federer with 51% of the vote. Top spin backhand out in front was the one-hander of Stan Wawrinka. He took 54% of the vote. Way back, Novak Djokovic, 18% of the vote. And then the rest of the votes were split between Andre Agassi and Andy Murray, who got 14%. And when it came to slice backhand, well, there wasn't a poll. There was no need to vote because there was just one name in the frame. And that name Roger Federer. Now be sure to join us next week on the ATP Tennis Radio podcast as we complete the final four categories, volley, return, movement and mindset. Until next time, take care. 